Hello, welcome to episode 44 of Scuttlebutt, presented by Service Credit Union. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic. Hey. I'm here with William. Howdy. And today we're trying something a little new. We're trying uh, segments. Um, so in the future, we're going to try and implement uh, re- regularly recurring segments into the Scuttlebutt that will kind of help add structure to the podcast, which has now been going on for about a year. We're kind of looking at it, trying to try new things. And, of course, when we want to try new things, we want to hear if you guys want us to try new things or what you want us to try, what's working, what's not working. Vic, what are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, Obviously, uh, as the Marine Corps Association, the Association for Marines, um, although we aren't officially uh, part of the Marine Corps Strategic Communication Plan, uh, this is a forum across our v- various mediums for us to engage in professional discourse, agree or disagree with the future of the Marine Corps, uh, to build a esprit de corps in our past. And so one of the ways we can do that is by providing you this podcast medium. And the most effective way we could do that is with your feedback. So we know what's working, what isn't. We've had some series that we've done, um, some interviews with uh, chaplains during Fort Chaplain. We did um, PTSD awareness uh, with, uh, as you guys listened to, Dr. Adam Hunziker, Nick Colt, talking about his experiences coming back from Fallujah. And so is that working? Is it, is it not? Does it resonate with you guys? Do you like it? Do you not? And so here we are. We're going to try some segments and see how that lands. Yep, and uh, the plan isn't to replace all the interviews. We really enjoy the interviews, but they are um, difficult to keep up with sometimes. Uh, it's hard to schedule for great interviews and keep up the fantastic quality that they've been. And we want to keep uh, you guys on your toes, tootin', too. Yeah, tooting tootin our own horns here. <laughs> but um, I don't think that we've had a bum interview yet. No, by no means. Yeah, so, and I think that a lot of uh, journalists out there, they know what a bum interview sounds like, and I just, I don't think that we've hit it yet. William, what are you thinking? Again, uh, we have a lot of expertise in this room right here. We have experts in different fields. The Marine Corps Association has a a wide variety of intelligent people in various capacities, so we'd like to definitely uh, take full advantage of that and, and, and get some more quality information out to our listeners and especially our Marines. So, all right, without further ado, we're going to jump into our segments on the other side of the break. Uh, thank you, Service Credit Union, for sponsoring us for these, yes, thank you very much. these episodes. And uh, Nancy's going to tell us all about it. This episode of Scuttlebutt is sponsored by Service Credit Union. Our friends at Service Credit Union have been serving military, veterans, and their families for over 65 years. You might know that they provide mortgages, including VA loans as well as auto and personal loans. But did you know that they now have a loan specifically for the iBot mobility device? For those who don't know, the iBot is a revolutionary device that goes above and beyond what a traditional mobility device can do. It can go up curbs, navigate stairs in snow, and even rise up to six feet. Of course, this device also comes with a high cost that isn't usually covered by insurance. So Service Credit Union has stepped in to help provide its members with financing, with no money down and terms up to 72 months. For more details, visit servicecu.org backslash ibot. All right, and now we're going to catch up with Gazette. So the August issue should have dropped into your inbox 
in the last few days, and the digital version should be available to you now. Uh, so in August Gazette, what was the thinking behind August Gazette, William? So we have two cool things we have going on in the August uh, edition of the Marine Corps Gazette. The first of which is that the uh, 2nd Marine Expeditionary Brigade had a series of articles starting off with the uh, uh, CG of 2MEB. And the purpose of his article is, as, as he states in his introductory letter, given the evolutionary history of brigades within the Marine Corps, it bears asking the question, is the current MEB construct a viable capability for the Marine Corps in the future? That is the question I've posed to the members of the uh, 2MEB staff. The article is published herein, examine and discuss the MEB as a current and future capability. So with that prompt, we had a wide variety of articles written from uh, various members of the staff of 2MEB, and they, and they really do touch on uh, future projections. So for example, uh, just based on the titles alone, you can see the variety of, of, of the topics covered. So the first, we have Echelon 4, that MEB as an integrated naval headquarters, command and control of float in contested littoral environments, lessons from 2MEB's recent experience, preparation to form a MEB for deployment, ensuring readiness across the competition continuum, a critical capability, C4 in a NATO environment, and uh, steps to develop a Comstrat annex for a MEB campaign plan. So again, very like future-oriented, very in relation to what uh, Force Design 2030 and Commons Planning Guidance says. Uh, Vic, do you have anything you'd like to uh, comment on these uh, two MEB articles that we helped edit? Yeah, I think they're really interesting. And I guess for, to provide some, con uh, some context for our listeners who um, aren't aware with, of Marine sort of command hierarchy and uh, sort of the unit where the, for lack of a better term, like where the guidons go. Um, traditionally, you know, you have your Marine Expeditionary Force, and that's really at the big level, and you have the, you know, uh, West Coast and East Coast MEFs. Um, and then below that, then you start to have your regiments, like 7th Marines, 1st Marines, 2nd Marines. And then within them, you have the, your battalions. The idea of a brigade doesn't necessarily exist in a formal Marine Corps hierarchy. So what we have, though, are these Marine Expeditionary Brigades, which sort of serve as your interim between your entire MEF and then the, the individual MUs that are going out. And so these MEBs, so for example, uh, in Iraq or in Af Afghanistan. Like Task Force Leatherneck in Afghanistan, that was the surge, right? Yeah, so, so yeah. You, would, you would send in these MEBs. And the, the nice thing about them is, is that they are, they're sort of conglomerated. You build up, they, there's not an existing structure. There's not a two MEB headquarters out of Camp Lejeune because that would be the MEF headquarters. And they're usually forward deployed. They sort of conglomerate on the fly and they make up a bunch of different kind of who's available sort of forces. Um, and so there are many, many challenges as you can imagine. So it's on the one hand, it's really great because you've got that flexibility to just sort of create this hybrid uh, fighting force on the go. But at the same time, like, what are they falling in on? There's not really a doctrinal structure, um, and it all really is dependent on what the mission is that they're going to be providing because they don't have a sort of codified mission statement like a – Marine Expeditionary Force or a regimental combat team or a, even a MU or a, a battalion um, task force. So uh, all that is to say the reason that these are being proposed was is that these are already sort of nebulous concepts now. And obviously I've been out of the game for a while and 
you know, retired as a major, so I'm not a huge thinker, clearly. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, from my experiences, we got really good at sort of conglomerating these forces during the long war. During 20 years of fighting insurgency and counterinsurgency uh, battles, the MEBs got really good at doing distributed operations, falling in on exist on a sort of existing structures, um, you know, in many cases, picking up people kind of as you go along. Like if for I'm going to date myself here, but if you remember the movie or the video Beat It for Michael Jackson, as he's walking <laughs> through the video, he keeps getting more and more people yep. on his side yep. until they finally get to the final fight. It's kind of like that. Like you start off with your, your battle staff. And as they move through the alleyways and on their way to the big fight in the in the in the um, warehouse, they're picking up people like, "Hey, I can, you know, I'm my dwell time's over. I can go with you." Or like, "Yeah, you know, our our unit just finished our, you know, McCree or their MWX or whatever. So yeah, we can be your infantry battalion main effort." And so that's how you sort of you pick them up as you go along. And then uh, so now EABO. And stand in forces and like, what does all this mean to be in this area of denial in this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the we fight in the gray zone. And so that's what the uh, two Meb is offering up here from their experiences. Um, like, this is how we see it going down. You know, what do you guys think? And how are the winds blowing? Would you say? I, I will say that as far as um, when it comes to fighting, and providing the ground combat element to GCE, dude, we're the best. And that's <laughs> yeah. completely objective. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to supporting those guys, I'm not sure we've quite figured that that piece out yet. And I think a lot of the stuff that's, uh, that was, is talked about this month's Gazette is, all right, let's just say we can get in under the radar, quite literally. Uh, what what do we do now? What do we do? You know, it's so like, are we going to become victims of our own success? Like, yeah, we've embedded these guys. They're hidden. Uh, now, now what? Yeah, now how? Okay. Um, so there's a lot of talk about, you know, maybe re- even restructuring the logistic combat element and maybe, you know, doing away with um, these logistics battalions um, uh, and maybe embedding as part of an organic asset to the battalion commander, the task force commanders, and actually having their own organic logistics elements as part of the unit. Um, That way there's a lot of uh, cohabitation, there's a lot very common language, vernacular. Uh, You've maybe cut down on some of the logistics requests. You know, many Marines, especially you're coming from a heavy junk battalion like Third Tracks, we have a lot of that stuff embedded like we have our own maintenance men we have our own logisticians but even then we're having to sort of figure things out on our own we can provide our own heavy lift clearly um but an infantry battalion doesn't have that man they've got an art like the stuff that was in third tracks armory which is equated to basically the an entire regiment's worth of heavy guns um just because we had 50 cals and 40 mic mics on every vehicle infantry guys maybe not don't necessarily know how to work, you know, having your own organic seven tons, your own organic, well, I guess, you know, whatever the JLTVs would be, heavy weapons, how to get your own nine block, um, which is your parts block, um, those sorts of things. So really interesting stuff. And then also, too, when we're talking about 
um, multi-domain threats and operating in a multi-domain environment, just something as simple as mail call could reveal a position of your stand-in force. Or, you know, so how do you mask a resupply run? Uh, how do you embed within the local population? Because and, and I, I heard a comic talk about this, but, like, I think about the, the, uh, the show Survivor. We all, like, it's a game show. These people, how can they survive on these islands? Like, dude, people have been living there for centuries. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is some people's <laughs> home, and we're treating it like a game show. Uh, and so that's kind of the same thing is, is like, hey, the Marines aren't going to be the first people on these islands or on these, in these places. Like, there are indigenous people, and something as simple as in, in, in engagement with an observation post or with a, whomever now they start talking to their friends and family like hey guess who i ran into today and then that hits facebook instagram whatever and now all of a sudden you've just completely uh compromised that that location so yeah all these kinds of things and like same thing what is the structure that these battle staffs these organizations are going to fall in it doesn't exist right now so what is that going to look like who do you need going back to information operations where do you get a space specialist? Where do you get an IO specialist? And then how do you integrate them? And then how does that affect your campaign plan? Uh, and then how do you level? keep them, like if they're embedded in their uh, advanced, like they're out there, how do you keep their, how do you keep the standards of practice standard, right? Like, yeah. Well, and then like even something as simple too is like, uh, how do you do your uh, relief in place transfer yeah. of authority? Uh, when you're in a fixed site like Al-Assad or at uh, Camp Dwyer, the HESCO, you know, city is already there. You're basically just changing the guide on. Everything's already there in place. you got a chow hall. You have a maintenance bay. You have a uh, combat aid station, blah, blah, blah. You have all of this infrastructure. You have locals that are already sort of working to help with some of the things like garbage cleanup and, mm -hmm. you know, shitter cleaning and all that kind of stuff now what do you do when say you have a stand-in force that falls in has a successful six seven months how do you rip them out yeah and uh transfer the lessons learned too right, right. like because in the field there they're learning as they go yeah and like you don't want to restart time, every six eight months so, well, and so. anytime there's activity yeah. you're potentially skylining yourself yeah. and so even to have like a leader's recon from the oncoming unit to come out and get boots on the ground and see what's going on could potentially compromise your position mm -hmm. so it's really gnarly yeah. yeah so a lot of the topics vic just talked about are, are available in the august edition of marine corps gazette um from the authors from a uh, two uh meb so uh, definitely go highly recommend go check them out and then if you have any uh, any ideas on again all, all these questions regarding the future of the meb please uh, reach out to us or to comment or you can write an article or a letter and if you would like to see this type of content expanded on like maybe into a YouTube space you know let the association know we can try and work something out um, yeah, so, but uh, that's also, not the only thing in the magazine. That is not the only thing uh, cool about the August edition. Also cool about the August edition is we have the uh, Chase Award winners uh, published. And for those who don't know, the Chase Award is kind of like a observation post uh, section from the Marine Corps Gazette. And again, for those who don't read the Marine Corps Gazette, observation post is where we have short one to two page uh, articles that propose 
quote unquote radical ideas for the Marine Corps and how, how to make changes for, for uh, positive for the future. And the uh, Chase uh, Award is uh, um, to quote the, uh, the advertisement for it is to challenge the status quo and provide their insights on radical change in the Marine Corps. So essentially a, a larger uh, observation post. So we have the first and second place winners published in the August edition. The first place article was titled Powering EABO, Aluminum Fuel for the Future Fight, written by Captain Walker D. Mills, Major Jacob Clayton, and Mr. Eric R. Limpacher. And again, as, 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 the, as the subtitle suggests, uh, using uh, aluminum fuel as a means to power expeditionary advanced space operations. And the second place we have was achieving, achieving decision on the battlefield, redefining maneuver warfare as method, not philosophy, by Major Christopher A. Denzel. So as you can see, just by the titles alone, these are pretty diverse topics covered. You can write pretty much anything you'd like to for uh, radical change to the Marine Corps when you submit to the ch Chase uh, essay contest. And we do this, I believe, yearly, correct, Vic? Yeah. Uh, it's usually around spring, I think, um, and, and you don't quote me on this, but the, usually the deadline for submission is the end of March. Yeah, so um, the sub submission dates are starting from 1 January to 30 April. Yeah, so yeah, if, if okay. you want to yeah, write for the upcoming yeah. year and, and potentially you know, win a pretty prestigious award for the Marine Corps Association. the uh, like some cash money. Cash yeah, money, yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's some good stuff. So, again, I recommend reading either articles. And then also, I mean, if you have an idea of radical change, please, you can write – you can submit an observation post. You can submit a full article anyways. Yeah, if you want that, if you want that bling, though, the Major General Herald W. Chase Prize Essay Contest is where it's at. Well, I mean, definitely to use the observation post as your test bed for you know developing your thesis because you can sort of start off with yeah. essentially a, a test, see how it flies. And you and can be you challenged can, before then, you're challenged, right? right? Exactly, yeah. and then you know it's like. It's yeah. like um, a, a pitcher who comes off an injury, goes down to the minor leagues yeah. for a couple games, and gets the cobwebs out, and then comes back up to the majors. Um, yeah, I found these articles fast, especially the the uh, uh, aluminum using aluminum yeah. as fuel to create uh, such as hydrogen, right? Especially as like a humanities oriented history person, just reading the in incredibly in depth technical science articles, always pretty fascinating yeah yeah i i just i really thought that was interesting because that has always been and i think the acmac mentioned it uh at, you know a few luncheons ago um but yeah how are we gonna power like there's a massive signature mm -hmm. to put even a company uh in a location especially if you want them to sustain to stand in uh yeah how are you gonna power all of yeah. their stuff Getting gallons and gallons of gas in there isn't going to be, or diesel, I guess, isn't going to be too easy. And very so, expensive. Yeah. yeah. And also, uh, referring to uh, the second place winner, Major Denzel, I love any contribution to the maneuver warfare discussion. Sure. It's, it's a very, especially with Marinus, it, it's been a pretty hot topic lately. It will always probably continue to be a hot topic, as it should be uh, continually discussed and refined. And also, I mean, just because they're radical ideas for radical change doesn't mean they're necessarily positive. So if anyone has, anyone has read an article, either article, and wants to contribute to the discussion or refute or make a counterpoint or help further the discussion, please write in to the Gazette uh, and, and call out or cite these articles as, as, uh, as a means of continuing the discussion. Yeah, All right. bring, bring your A game. Uh, I would suggest if you are thinking about uh, submitting – Give these a read. Obviously, these are the winners. This is sort of the barometer. Well, not sort of the barometer. This is the barometer. Uh, but, yeah, these are dense articles, and they're not messing around uh, with their research. So, yeah, yeah bring it.
All right. And that was in, or that and more, I guess, is in August Gazette. And we will check in with uh, the September Gazette in the near future. All right. And uh, going on with the show. All right, so for this next segment, we're going to do a uh, This Day in Marine Corps History, and we are recording on 13 July 2022. So for, th- for today's segment, we're going to do uh, 13 July 1944. On this day in history, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines conducted a shore-to-shore amphibious assault in seizes Managasa Island, otherwise known as um, Managa. Managa Island, off the coast of Saipan. And the Battle of Saipan had, quote-unquote, officially ended on 9 July, even though there is some, um, a lot of resistance and holdout among the Japanese forces for, for months to come. Um, and and during, this, uh, during this amphibious operation, the 2nd and 4th Marine Divisions were beginning to recuperate and prepare for their future assault on Tinian. And for uh, those who are interested, uh, the total casualties for Saipan over the months that it was fought, was around 3,000 uh, dead and 8,000 wounded for the Marines, and oh, as well as the uh, 77 naval personnel and uh, killed and 337 wounded from uh, who were you know corpsmen and, and otherwise who were assisting Marines on the island. So, I guess why why this is was as important is and especially referencing today's environment is the shore to shore aspect of it. So, uh, Vic, as an AM tracker. Uh, from back in the day, a long time ago when you served. Yes, which is about this time period <laughs> we're talking yes, about. Yes, yes. 1944, um, 1945. Yeah. What are some of the like the uh, the difficulties of shore to shore movements? Uh, well, I, if I could just provide like, a little bit of context, um, the difference between say ship to shore and shore to shore. So if we look at uh, the island hopping campaign, something like Tarawa. Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal would be shipped ashore. You're fully embarked. Like your entire life, your infrastructure is on the ship. And sort of like you win, you eat once you get off the ship because you're going on that island. And the only way you're going to get sustainability is to establish a lodgment. Whereas in a shore-to-shore maneuver, and especially as we're looking at island hopping, is you have sort of your – your logistics footprint can stay on uh, the safe part of the waterway, archipelago, whatever mm-hmm. you have, and then you can just cross via that waterway onto. So you go from one land, you go from a land-based operation to another land, uh, which obviously has all of its own challenges as well. Um, but I think the one thing that is more uh, probably uh, preferable is that you have this massive lodgment behind you and you can do a myriad of things shore to shore. You can raid, you can uh, do deception operations, you can faint, shows of force. Yeah. Um, you really have – if you're on a ship, uh, and obviously, you know, we read about all of these uh, shaping operations that were occurring on, um, you know, Tarawa and Iwo and Guadalcanal. You know, you're talking – weeks potentially months worth of shelling and air and when you have this massive lodgement just behind you you can sustain that for a lot longer because your logistics train is going to run you can run much further Mm -hmm. back you know you're not starting at the place your line of departure for example you have a much more and it's a safer it's It's easier to stockpile yeah exactly yeah um so in that those ways you're not as time dependent um, so it's preferable. And yeah. 
when I was working on the ACV program, that was one of the huge selling points for this wheeled um, amphibian is, is that we can do these shore-to-shore operations. And then when you look across the map at some of the places that you would want to do that, or at least that are within our theaters of interest, you know, you got the Straits of Hormuz, you got the Straits of Gibraltar. Um, you can do a lot from uh, Australia up into Indonesia, um, Philippines. So there's a bunch of places in the South China Sea and in Southeast Asia that would be optimal for a shore-to-shore capability. Um, and so that was obviously mm-hmm. – and then obviously we start talking about riverine operations. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into anything on the high side, but, you know, there – hypothetically speaking, there could be uh, a, a nation that we're opposed to that is neighbored to a friendly nation, and maybe they have a massive waterway that separates the two countries. And so you could go from your friendly area – um, that has a massive logistics infrastructure, and then you could do a shore-to-shore operations that sort of sweeps, I don't know, just use the chronological direction, from south to north, for example, through that waterway or around that waterway to make then an amphibious landing uh, against the contested shore from a shore-based line of departure. Yeah. So or even so just in Saipan, Tinian was shore-to-shore too, wasn't it? Like they just went from Saipan down to Tinian? Um, not just. Not there was a lot of infrastructure. There was a lot of. Uh, I just know that Saipan there, had, uh, or I mean, Tinian had that massive deception operation mm-hmm. that literally saved thousands of lives yep. as they, uh, you know, fainted to the south and then went to the north, yep. or they did a demonstration to the south. Yeah, sh- shore to yeah. shore movements are kind of, I guess, like the, uh, like the the ugly stepsister ship to shore because all the all the the stereotypes you have of that era is ship to shore operations, but there's. The, the, the tactical, tactical flexibility and strategic flexibility that shore-to-shore operations off, offered or were, were, were incredibly important to a lot of victories, especially in the Second World War. I mean, looking at Guadalcanal, for example, especially um, as, as Marines were landing on the Pozongal Canal, they were also fighting a lot of these smaller outlying islands to uh, prevent the, uh, you know, the Japanese from, from having an uh, ability to outflank the, the landing force. So you see a lot of in, in, that, uh, in that landing, especially a lot of moving troops from Guadalcanal mainland to these smaller islands mm-hmm. to reinforce those operations. Believe in World War II when uh, invading Sicily, Patton was more than uh, on more than one occasion was willing to use uh, shore-to-shore operations to outflank the, the Germans to prevent them to try to escape the island. Well, I think yeah. even if we were to look back and, and history guy, please you know correct me on this, but I mean I think in the war against the pirates. There the were Barbary a ton Coast of, pirates. Just yeah. even in the in the what, in the uh, Caribbean. Uh, and the uh, Spice Islands and things of that nature. I mean, I think there were a ton of things going on that were would be considered shore to shore using you know smaller boats that would be launched from one you know disguised as a such and such, and then they do a raid and yeah. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, up, uh, uh, unfortunately yeah. piracy is not my uh, area of expertise. Maybe I just so. watched too much Black Sails. Uh, maybe, or whatever. maybe I don't know. Which was an amazing show. But yeah, back to William. Like all yeah. the all the examples that I can think of that are well documented shore to shore are like in the Guadalcanal campaign. Um, but yeah, so this tiny little you know. Well, it just think Managa about it, Island. If you're like. I mean, it doesn't take a massive, you know, it doesn't take a, a savvy observation post to look out over the horizon yeah. and see this 
armada coming down at yeah. you. You're just like, <laughs> I guess this is happening. Yeah. You know. Um, oh, but, like uh, the longest day. Uh, where are they coming? Right at me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but when you do shore to shore, obviously your arrival is much more concealed, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's a smaller, it has a smaller signature once you actually do cross that line of departure. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that to get to Tinian, they sent. That the really they sent the the fleet south, yeah. and then they landed shore to shore up in the north. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't I don't I don't know about that. It's 100%. not that long. Like they could fire artillery across the strait, so I think they could. I have to double check. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel that's definitely. I, a good I feel way. like those islands touch each other. A moment to pause, <laughs> rewind, yeah. and you come in later. But, uh, I like to do that. Ready for a whip pan? Anyway, <laughs> whoops! Future Nick here. Whoops! But yeah, uh, also, uh, this uh, small landing uh, that I didn't even know it happened uh, before now is is not really well documented. So there's any young marine historians out there, or old marine historians, or anyone out there looking to possibly write a uh, article or a thesis of some sort. The uh, landing at Manigasa Island is definitely yeah. one that should be considered and, and brought more uh, attention to. Yeah, yeah, because there's... Saipan's a weird one, because it's like, you'd think that we would know everything about it, every little movement they ever made, because... After Saipan was uh, Tinian, and that's where we launched the nukes from, like the B-29s. Well, the, the problem with studying um, military history as, as, as just a field is you would assume, just because you reports on that there's that we pretty much should know everything there is to know about every major battle instances. Yeah. But, I mean, when, when, when key members of those engagements are killed or wounded— yeah. Um, it's 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 you, or you Iwo Jima is happening across the way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, not even like it's not for any particular instance. Like because of the fact that it does involve people dying and and, and gaps in memories of key figures. Yeah. Th- there's always going to be holes of 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 particular, and that's what historians are trying to do is is trying to fill those holes. Even like major, like even major battles such as Saipan or, or Iwo Jima, mm-hmm. we don't know exactly 100% what happened in certain situations just because of, of the lapse of memory. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but, but I, to, I guess uh, to support you on, on, you know, submitting research and articles is, is that, um, as you say very often, is, is that, you know, uh, you know, history, it rhymes, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, as we look at EABO, uh, you know, tactics for standing forces, obviously doing shore to shore and occupying multiple islands across a front is going to be really key to, well, if we don't know how we're going to do it, let's maybe look back and see how somebody else yeah. had done it. Or just knowing why we had to go shore to shore to get on Managaha anyway. Like, I don't think, right now it's uninhabited, like it's a, you go there for a day trip to go, like, snorkeling. Like, it's not, it's on the northwest part of Saipan, for anybody who's wondering. Uh, it's just this little island, it's kind of, like, within the shadow of the bigger island. Um, I guess, I don't know quite if we have any good analogs to it in the United States, but uh, just an island off the coast, really small. Yeah. Well, especially um, if you were to look at it, too, from the Japanese lens, um, those were standing forces. Yeah. And they didn't have, obviously, a lo- robust logistics chain, and they certainly didn't have a way of getting off. Yeah. Once they were once uh, they were there. Well, Saipan. So, uh, yeah. How are we going to play this thing out? Like, yeah. how is this going to work? How you use? Uh, we've had a lot, actually, a lot of articles talking about previously in the Gazette about you know I think one of those like you know like stop studying dead Germans, start studying like you know 
dead Russians instead. Like le- learning from the experiences of others outside of just the Marine Corps and, and as in the United States military at large, and taking time to understand. Okay, well, we d- we want to do something that's remotely sort of similar to what these other nations did. What did they do, what did they do right? What did they do wrong? And how did we beat them? And then try to reapply that so that we, we don't have the reverse. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that uh, Saipan would be a good one to study for that too, because Oba, I think, is the, was the commander's name. Took his troops and like a ton of civilians and disappeared into the woods, and they didn't give up until five months after the war ended. Um, so December forty-five. So that may be worth looking at too. Oh, absolutely. So as far as how they were living off the land and avoiding capture from from the Marines and all that, so they weren't like actively fighting, but they were actively causing problems. Right. Right. <laughs> D- so, harassing yeah. and, and and i guess to even go back to our previous segment i mean there's an entire uh article that was written about what comstrat was going to be for eabo um and that seems to fall like we'd be good to know how the japanese incorporated work with the indigenous people to maintain yeah. a presence for yeah. five months after the war was over yeah, and not just yeah a civilian contingent they yeah. You believe they were, they were all going to get raped and killed if they got captured. They had them. They kept all of them pretty safe and just, you know, in their eyes safe. And then yeah. moving around the island, uh, just avoiding capture, getting supplies where they could. Um, a lot of interesting stuff happened sure. outside Pan. Well, I can imagine that for a stand in force, the quickest way to get kicked off the island is to piss off the locals. Right, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, that is... The uh, shorter shore from Saipan to Managaha Island is your little bit of trivia today uh, as far as what happened in history that you had no idea about because, you know, I didn't. All right. Well, that's good for history. We'll catch you in the next section. All right. Well, we wanted to take a moment to kind of catch up with some friends of the show. So we're going to call this segment Friends of the Show. All right. And the first one we talk about is our friends on the long road with uh, Sergeant Major LeHue, Justin J.D. LeHue, um, who is walking across the country on Highway 20 with Sergeant Major Rocky Kinzer. Uh, and they are in New as of right now, they're in western New York. In Brockton, New York. In Brockton, New York, almost, almost to, I guess that's Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. they have to cut through there before, yeah. Um, so... For anyone who hasn't been keeping up with them, uh, Sergeant Major, the Sergeant Major Lee Hugh, the Sergeant Major, Lee, the, the the Sergeant yeah, Major, he has a Wikipedia yeah. page. Yeah, so. that's pretty official. It's pretty official. I don't have a Wikipedia page yet. Um, <laughs> so Sergeant Major Hugh had been bit by a tick and got sick, and so he missed a few days of walking, but he got over it. He had a fever of 104, so not a not a pretty situation. No, that's brutal. But uh, he's back on the road now, and uh, they're. Greet, meeting and greeting Marines and uh, supporters all across the New York so far. So if you're uh, ahead of them on Highway 20, keep track and pop in and say hi. Uh, they got a lot of fun little stories coming out of there, like folks just randomly showing up to pay for lunch. So just to That's show huge. their support. Not yeah. bad gig. Yeah. So I think they slept in uh, a couple of like town squares. Uh, with they just you know threw up their tents and slept in town squares. They don't even need a hotel. They're just having a good time. Uh, but, yeah, uh, check them out at The Long Road on Facebook, or you can catch up to them on HistoryFlight.com. Um, but that's what's going on with Justin Hugh. What do you guys think about The Long Road? It's crazy. It kind of reminds me of the, like, Forrest Gump. <laughs> 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 um, 
but yeah, I can't. That just, I mean, he's been doing it for a couple weeks now. started on D-Day. Yeah, and so they're only through New York. Yeah, I did the math the other day. They're going to get there, if they maintain their 12 and a half miles a day, which hopefully they speed up at some point, they're going to get there in uh, February. Yeah, good grief. Which means they're going to be in the mountains in December and January. Oh, God. I mean, that's the thing is you can maybe speed up across some of the flatter parts, but you're going to slow down at some point. You're going to hit it. Just do a blitz across. I mean, I'm jealous. I wish I could could take a few months off and, and, and do that. But uh, yeah, I'll say here. Yeah, that's that's a long time. It's it's what seven months to make that. Whole you trip. could you could speed run it. Um, <laughs> I don't know I for anybody who's done a force march uh, with gear. You know, you're trying to do uh, three miles an hour, and uh, uh, that is a so twelve miles a day is not is a, is a pretty it's a sustainable. That's that's, a, that's, yeah. like a, that's like a fun hike. Yeah, but to be fair, they also I mean he also has that cart they have. It's a cart. It's not like nothing to do with that. What's slowing him down is all the goodwill and fun they're yeah, uh, the, running into. They're having. You uh, can't just say good. You can't like otherwise. What's the point of walking? You gotta say hey to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, well, I mean, if you think about like just larger cities, I mean, yeah. Twelve but, miles a day. It's gonna take you almost three days just to get through a single. Yeah. So, and with all the appointments they've got coming up, probably in. Cleveland and Chicago yeah. and some of these places. They might be in Chicago for a for week a before they yeah. can get out of there. Yeah. Uh, we'll see when we get there, though. Um, I'm sure they're going to plan to like stop by Soldier Field and stuff. But, you know, that's where it's at, and uh, hopefully that they can get some weather cool. clothing dropped in. It's very cool. It's yeah. really daunting for me to even try <laughs> to wrap my head around it. But Yeah, right? So I think that, like, if you're casually strolling right at a speed that doesn't make you tired, that's probably, what, like two miles an hour? Two and a half miles an hour, so it takes a while. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing twelve a day, I mean, in, in, unless they just like they're just gonna walk during the daylight yeah. hours. Yeah, I think that they're gonna get probably get up closer to like twenty twenty five. Once yeah, they get, I was gonna say, but uh, that put, that takes a toll. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, their calves are gonna be so ripped. <laughs> for sure. Oh, they're gonna be, they're gonna be they're gonna be <laughs> nice and lean too. Yeah, we gotta get them both in here when they get back. Be um, sun kissed. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got more than one friend of the show though. Um, Miles Vining, Vic, you know what he's been up to? Yeah, so uh, friend of the show, Miles Vining, uh, really just sort of your uh, man of all seasons. This guy's just he's unbelievable. I'm so happy that uh, we got to know him. But um, he's just doing really what he can to help people who are in harm's way. Uh, can't necessarily speak directly yet to his current endeavors uh but you can just imagine of all the hot spots in the world he's in one of them uh but you know he just finished up uh i want to say he was in tajmikistan um helping with afghan refugees after we pulled out um and then he was the uh technical advisor and this is interesting. I, I got to unpack this with him a little bit more because uh, I, ha- I have questions. But they, he was part of a production team by a Chinese media production company that did a movie about Chosen Reservoir. Oh, that what was it? I think that it was, was called Chosen. I think it's called Chosen. Yeah. Yeah, the because ma- I mean China's doing a massive propaganda effort and doing dropping lots of money into into these hits to try to yeah. I wonder. I wonder what the long term game is. Yeah. So he was uh, one of the technical advisors on this on this movie, 
uh, and he's from what I gather from through emails, pretty proud of it. So I don't yeah. think it, like it, it, I don't think it has the necessarily the slant you would anticipate a Chinese produced media company to come out with. So I don't I don't think they're rewriting history with this thing. But I wonder how they. But you don't have to not necessarily rewrite history, but you can definitely add a tone to history. Because yeah. I, I mean, it's one of those things where like the Chosen Reservoir is very high in the marine esprit de corps and culture and history. Sure. But, but but it, it, regardless how it is how 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 Marine Corps perceives it, it was a retreat so that could be viewed as as you know a Chinese. I mean, uh, it was cold for everybody, so they yes. probably <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah it wasn't just like a hundred feet down the road were a bunch of warm Chinese soldiers. So yeah, yeah. that'd be super interesting. Uh, I need to look and see if it's on any platforms that we can access or any platforms that don't contribute money money to the Chinese Communist government. Yeah, yeah. It'd be nice. So, Illegal know. streaming. Don't do it. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah, don't find any websites about pirates and bays. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, another update from friend of the show, uh, Major Tom Schumann. Uh, he just finished up his time at Naval War College, uh, and he's taking over... I'm not sure the exact staff position because I think he, according to LinkedIn, he just checked in a few days ago. But he's at, back at 3-5, um, and he's home again. And he is doing that just in time for the release of his book, um, Always Faithful, which will hit the shelves August 9th. You can uh, start doing your advanced uh, pre-orders now. Um, it's getting a ton of great reviews. We're hoping to have one as well and uh we're trying to work to get him back on the show to talk about this book but essentially uh, it's called always faithful and it talks uh it delves into his experiences trying to get his linguist from afghanistan here uh back into the uh, into the u.s and so uh his linguist's name is zach which is short for i'm not sure what but um <laughs> read the book and find out what zach is short for uh but zach is here in the in the u.s and uh, he and, and, and Tom Schumann, and it's their uh, experiences trying to uh, help, you know, get his uh, his linguist into a safer. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and yeah. then we, speaking of, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're trying to get him on the show. And speaking of people that might be hard to get on the show that we want to get back on because of what he's been up to, uh, Andy Milburn. Yes. Uh, so for anyone who's been tracking his activity, he's been very active. Uh, in Ukraine uh, through his uh, organization called the Mozart Group, uh, which has been taking sort of um, his certifications as an international uh, special operator uh, through this International Special Operations Foundation. I think that's what they're called. Uh, and so this is sort of an offshoot of that, and they are actively training. Well, first off, the first thing they're doing is training Ukraine forces to – you're giving them TTPs and lessons learned that they can then take and then uh, apply. So sort of a train-the-trainer course in uh, in the sort of the safer areas of Ukraine so they can then take that knowledge to the fight on the front. While at the same time, I think they're also helping evacuate people who can't 
get out of these, you know, situations that seem untenable for their escape, they're actually finding these rat lines and things and they're going in and actually helping get people out of these places that are surrounded or heavily shelled. Um, and so, yeah, he's doing a lot of yeah. really great things. And for those interested, he has written a series of articles for uh, Task and Purpose. You can go see all, all the stuff that he's been doing uh, on there and check out all the work he's done. I think yeah. CNN's ping them a couple times for mm-hmm. some uh, live interviews as well. And then if you just check him out on Facebook, he's posting content two, three times a day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's a great source for boots on the ground info in Ukraine. Yeah, you're not getting, you're getting, uh, you're yeah. getting the uh, the unfiltered, uncensored versions of anything for when it comes to Andy Milburn. Yeah, it's going to be candid, so. All right, well, that's just a few of our friends of the show. Um, every once in a while, we just come back in and just kind of check on some folks that have been up to some awesome shit. So... Truly, they have been. So. Truly, they have been. It's probably too too soon to check in on your friends you made in California, Vic. But we'll make sure we keep them in mind too. Yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I can't I can't say enough about uh, some of these great people that we're meeting. So uh, we'll definitely keep you in the loop on these folks. Yeah, because a lot of them have big projects coming up. I want to make sure we keep up For on what's sure. going on at that. Yeah. So all right, well, that is friends of the show, uh, the newest segment on Scuttlebutt. All right, now we're going to go on ahead and catch up with Leatherneck. Again, another Untitled segment. You just reach out if you've got any ideas. Uh, We're looking at August, and we've got Nancy here to talk about the August issue of Leatherneck Magazine. Hi, everyone. And Nancy, what is sticking out to you from the magazine that you edit? We had some great stories, as we always do, in the August issue. I think my two or three favorite stories were the the article about the Modern Day Marine Expo, because I think that has, uh, that covers a lot of the technical gear that was on display at Modern Day Marine, and I think it's really exciting to see innovation, and I think our readers are going to enjoy it. We had some good pictures, if I do say so myself, because, you know, I I took the pictures. Took them. Yeah, is that wrong to say? No, it's not right to say. (laughs) Take pride in your work. (laughs) Yes, I take pride in my work. Um, No, seriously, though, it's always really exciting to see innovation. And I'm not a a technology guru, but I can appreciate when I see others who are. So what's neat about that is before I started working here at the Marine Corps Association, I worked on one of the the vehicles in in, uh, Sam's article there. Uh, the Hunter Wolf from HDT. So it's neat kind of seeing that show up on the Marine Corps floor because the Marines had no interest in it when I was working on it. And, so. and did you know it was going to – had you seen in advance that it was going to be there at the expo nope. or did you just stumble across I had no idea. It? I rolled in and it was right across from our booth and I was like, oh, HDT's here. Oh, the Hunter Wolf's here. Oh, I recognize her but I don't remember her name. Pretty cool. <laughs> That's pre- it's a really, really impressive – I don't know, do you call it? It's a vehicle, right? Yeah, it's, it's a vehicle, a, yeah. An autonomous vehicle. Yeah. So we were calling it a robot, but that's not accurate. No. Uh, and so specifically, I was working on the battery in there, and I think that's one of the biggest, most interesting parts about it, is that it runs silently for like 12 miles purely on battery before the generators have to kick in. Interesting. So, well, yeah. and, and I've been to Modern Day Marine Expo numerous times over the years, and generally I go, I man a table for the magazine, or I just go, you know, walk around 
take a quick look at everything, and then I'm back to the office. This is the first time I attended as a photographer to a reporter. Side, I was the sidekick um, for our reporter, Sam. And uh, so I saw it through his eyes. Now, Sam Lichman, my son, but also one of our freelancers, is a technology guru. And so when we walked in, he knew he knew what was going on. And so I was able to, like I said, see it through his eyes, learn and understand. And I think that that allowed the magazine to present it in a better way for our readers. Yeah. And it was also cool just kind of touching back on being there. Right. It's how every, excited everyone was to be in the convention center in D.C. versus right. on the muddy field in Quantico. Correct. Correct. So. Uh, extremely extremely exciting event to attend really professional and uh even though it happened a few months ago seeing it all on the pages of the magazine again it gets me excited about oh okay this is coming up again next year i'm i'm already looking forward to it so that's that's i think the first standout article in the august issue of leatherneck i would say the second standout article is uh, one we talked about in a previous episode of Scuttlebutt, and that is John Bernstein's gung-ho, the Macon Island Raid article. And we talked about that on the Scuttlebutt episode uh, featuring the M1 Garand. It's either episode 41 or 42. It was very recent. It was very recent, right. Yeah. So John Bernstein is one of the curators at the National Museum of the Marine Corps. And he wrote about the the Marine Raiders who landed on Macon Island in August 1942 because we're coming up on the 80th anniversary of that event. And uh, so if you want to know more about that article, go back a few episodes and have a listen to that. That was also a really uh, good standout article. All right. So those two, we're going to call them friends of the show because they've both been on the show. Yes, they are friends of the so, show. So Sam and John and uh, someone that we were trying to get on the show who has since moved to San Diego. Yeah, uh, are, we, are we allowed <laughs> to say that? I don't know. That might be that might be top secret information. I don't know. Uh, I'm guessing that's your third standout article. Yes, yes, by Leatherneck staff writer Sarah Bach. She, and in fact, I was with her to cover part of this article too, so I played I played second chair photographer to two of our reporters for the August issue, and uh, that that was an um, enjoyable experience. But Sarah's article is about the Military Women's Memorial. And for those of you who don't know, it's the memorial just at th on the inside of Arlington National Cemetery. Sarah wrote about the Military Women's Memorial, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. They just completed a renovation of the phase one of a renovation of the inside of the building. And um, the head of the foundation, just after we went to press, we learned that retired Air Force Brigadier General Wilma Vaught was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And so that was that was pretty exciting. She's she's in her 90s and she still goes into the office several days a week, um, advising the the uh, women who currently run the foundation. But it it's a beautiful building, an amazing foundation, and we also want to emphasize 
to any of the female service members listening that you can submit your stories about your service to their register. And we have information about how to do that in the magazine, but you can also find it online uh, the, at myaccount.womensmemorial.org. All right. Now, beyond that, if they wanted to submit article, while well, we're talking about submitting articles and stuff, if you want to submit an article to the magazine for review, just leatherneck at mca-marines.org, and we'll take a look. Right. Well, it, the best course of action would be to submit a story proposal first so that we could maybe tweak it first if it needed tweaks before you write the article. But, yeah, we're always interested in story ideas, leads for stories, and certainly if there are any writers out there who want to be published in Leatherneck, we'd love to hear from you. All right. And um, so beyond that, we've got the normal features in there with uh, the sea stories and the core connections. So a lot of stuff to catch up on in there. Sea stories are always fun. They're always fun. And um, and I learned something interesting, uh, Nancy, in the part that you personally write uh, in, in the saved round about um, the barrage uh, balloons. Yes, barrage balloons were, it was news to me. I had no idea, and you said the same thing. You didn't know that the Marine Corps had used barrage balloons, um, but I stumbled across a group of photos at the Library of Con- in online at the Library of Congress, and they were images of Marines training at Paris Island with barrage balloons. Some of the images are in color, and in fact, the image we published is a color photo. So uh, that's, that's also a rarity, to have World War II color images. But uh, if you want to know more about how the Marine Corps used barrage balloons during World War II, then take a look at the August issue of Leatherneck. I'm not going to give it all away right now. All right. And uh, speaking of giving things away, we do on our website, mcamarines.org slash magazine slash leatherneck have two free articles available every month mca dash marines uh, mca dash marines dot org backslash magazines right. backslash leatherneck gets you straight to leatherneck also if you just go to mcamarines.org and just navigate to it that also works um but if you just want one magazine and uh you're not interested in a full membership just yet you just want to dip your toes you can pick up a single issue in our app at mca uh, uh, on the uh, just look for the MCA app in uh, the Apple Store or the Play Store, and you can uh, just a la carte just pick up what you want there. So that's that's keeping up with Leatherneck. That's lots of Leatherneck. That's uh, you know, there's a title out there. Lots of Leatherneck. Lots of Leatherneck. <laughs> I, I think we need to work on that a little. Yeah, we're gonna workshop it. Like we're workshopping everything. We got workshopping the Gazette one. We're workshopping the history one, and I don't know. Lots of fun wargaming. I don't know. We haven't recorded that even yet, but we need titles, people. So if you got an idea for the Leatherneck segment title, let us know. Or if you have an idea for a segment you'd like us to cover on a regular basis on Scuttlebutt, we'd love to hear from you. So, all right. And this is going to be our last uh, segment in Segment Spaghetti. So we'll catch everybody on the flip. Bye, everyone. And that was the spaghetti of segments. We were throwing noodles at the wall. Yeah, uh, segment spaghetti. I love segment it. Segment spaghetti. Uh, hoping that uh, some of the stuff might stick. Uh, I definitely enjoy catching up with the magazines because um, I 
it's hard to keep track of what's going on in there, and I work here, so. Um, One of the things I think we're going to have to focus on, and hopefully our listeners can help us with, is naming these segments. Yeah. Um, yeah, we need a good one. Uh, catching up with Gazette, lame. Gazette catch-all. Uh, yeah. I, I Why don't you just name the worst ones you could think of? Uh, Gazette. Like friends of the show, like if uh, we could maybe – I don't know, we probably can't pay the copyright, but if we could get, like, that Friends theme song to start it <laughs> off, you know, or what? I don't know, that's, that's awful. We could just do our own rendition of it, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the around the world thing, like, you know, like what in the yeah. world? Or, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Friends of the Show, but, yeah, um, I don't know. Man. I like Friends of the Show. I like the idea of having more friends in my life. Yeah, yeah. I think we all could use more friends in our lives, um, even influencers. Maybe we could do something like <laughs> get someone to voice over, like, what's the best ship in the world? Friendship! <laughs> and then, like, that leads into that. <laughs> I don't think the Navy would, would like that. I think they, they have some better ships out there than friendship. Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully hope our tax repair dollars are going to better things than friendship with the Navy. I hope that there's somewhere out there is, like, a little skiff that's just called friend, and it's just the well, friendship. Well, no, there is the friendship. No, there yeah. is the friendship of Salem. It was a uh, – it's actually in Salem, Massachusetts. It was used uh, during, like, the uh, the early Republic, and it was actually, uh, I think, captured by the British before the War of 1812. The Did more they you know. use it – like, was it mainly used for, like, shipping it was, beer? It was commercial, stuff? but it had a couple uh, – like, two guns on it for, like – off chance that they wanted because guns aren't friendly man yeah Yeah, we're gonna go out fishing and uh just in case what i was like we're gonna gonna go out and do like like it was trade ship commercial so but i mean you know you don't know if if some pirate's gonna get you yeah yeah anyway yeah so really really need a name for the gazette segment guys i uh and also we have we have a few other segments that we have uh uh, in in uh in the loop that we're gonna try to introduce throughout future episodes. But there's anything you'd like us particularly to touch on, please reach sure. out to us. Oh yeah, we Absolutely. got ideas for like a war gaming segment. Absolutely, that's gonna that's, be exciting. That's yeah, really cool. that's the that's the big one we're looking at. Um, so if we can and get that's that up be and running, everything from board games to online games. Um, yeah, and, you know, potentially even like tactical decision games and stuff like that. So. Yeah, we can't get a sand table in here, but. That would be for the YouTube video if we could, right? <laughs> yeah. As far as you know, we don't have a sand table in here because you're a listener. Brought the not beach a back viewer. with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that's our segments. Uh, thanks to Service Credit Union for jumping on board, and uh, we will sprinkle segments in the future. It's not we're not going to have a whole segment episode again, but we'll sprinkle them in in the future. Um, and thanks for tuning in. We'll catch everybody on the flip. Bye. Peace. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. You have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Mother Neck magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scuttlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.